I'm excited to share with you all that I've contributed a chapter to the newly published Anxiety Relief Handbook. The handbook provides a unique window into 11 highly effective complementary therapies for you to sample on your quest to ease anxiety. The ebook is available on my website, happynurse.com.au forward slash anxiety relief handbook. There are going to be patients in cases that are more triggering than others because of their own traumas that you've gone through in your life. And just because you're a professional that works in this field does not mean that you're exempt from being human and experiencing stuff that's going to truly impact your life in such great ways. And it doesn't mean you just have to get over it. Welcome to the Happy Nurse Podcast. Nurses are the backbone of healthcare, always there to care for strangers as if they were one of their own often forsaking special moments with their own family in order to ensure another's loved one is being cared for. As nurses, self-care is essential. I am Elena Mullery, nurse educator and self-care mentor for nurses. I'm an RN with 20 years of clinical experience. I have first-hand experience of stress and burnout. It was this experience which led me to develop a passion for personal development and pursue the study of mindfulness, meditation, hypnotherapy and neuro-linguistic programming. Each episode, I will be promoting self-care strategies to those who always care for others. I have broken self-care down into five aspects, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual and indulgence to make it easy to ensure all your self-care needs are being met. Each episode, I will interview nurses and self-care gurus from around the world to help you with each aspect of your self-care. Welcome to the Happy Nurse Podcast with Elena Mullery. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Happy Nurse Podcast. Now, today's episode is a bit different to some of the others. I often get asked if I could do some work to help other first responders. So the police often ask me, so do teachers, so do firefighters, you know, paramedics. It's being recognized that it's not just nurses who need to prioritize their self-care. It's all of us who are first responders and on that front line. And being exposed to these traumatic and stressful situations on a regular basis. So it got me thinking and I thought, why not get my buddy Michelle Powell, who is a trauma recovery coach, to join me and have a chat about the traumas that we do face as a first responder and the impact it's taking on us and the toll it's having on our mental health. So Today, I've invited Michelle to join me. Now, for those of you who haven't listened to any of the previous episodes with Michelle, Michelle Powell is an internationally recognized holistic health practitioner, and she specializes in trauma recovery. Now, Michelle has been a wellness professional since 2003 and has trained the rich and famous on the exclusive Hamilton Island. Michelle's also the author of three times Amazon bestseller, The Mastery of Wellness. 
And she takes people from their lowest to being genuinely happy with a strong focus on the totality of wellness. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with Michelle today. Michelle and I's conversations often take on their their own tangents and we go off down rabbit warrens we didn't expect to. So listen up, this could be a good one and we'll see you all on the other side. Hello, Michelle. Welcome back to the show. I always love having you on the podcast. How are you? I'm good, lovely. And I always love being here. Let's uh, see where today takes us. Yeah, our conversations can go off on great tangents, but they're always very well received by my listeners. So yeah, I love hanging out with you and doing this. Today, we are going to speak about trauma recovery and the impact that facing trauma on a daily basis in your professional role has on your personal life as well. Now, Michelle, as I said in the intro, is a trauma recovery coach. So I thought this would be a great topic for her and I to chat about so we can bring the self-care aspect in with the trauma recovery too. So Michelle, what are your thoughts about those of us who work in roles who are dealing with trauma on a daily basis and how it's impacting our personal lives as well. I really love this conversation because I think this is such an important thing to discuss because so frequently those that are working, you know, directly or indirectly in relation to their job with dealing with trauma and traumatic situations there's multiple things that I see happen. Like there's almost a desensitization that occurs, but there's also a constant state of stress that's happening there too. And I feel that this is a really great way to, you know, discuss this too, because with your own background and experience, Maybe you can even share with some of the listeners some of our conversations that we've had of recent. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny because I never really think about it and I'm sure a lot of those listening are the same, but I was recently downloading to Michelle after a particularly stressful day at work and then I was like but that's just a day in the office for me and she's like Elena nothing about that is normal stop normalizing what you've been through and I went well, actually it's not but I said in my life it is normal but I think that's where we then become predisposed to things like vicarious trauma and compassion fatigue because we are normalizing these stressful and traumatic events and maybe not dealing with them appropriately because we we downplay them yes and I think that was you know probably an important way to start some of this conversation because what you were sharing with me I was sitting there like bug-eyed like are you like I, I know from your role that those are normal things that you would see plenty of times, but the average person, that itself, like one of those situations alone is a traumatic event. But you guys are compounded one after the other, after the other, after the other, until it's like, oh, yeah, that's just a normal thing. And you're in this constant state of stress without really being able to grasp that fully because 
there's an expectation of just being able to handle that. Yeah. And I think that is a big part of it. It's that unsaid expectation that is there and that it is just part of our role. And I mean, I had, um, Cameron on the podcast last year and we were talking about the importance of debriefing and I think that comes into this as well you know if you want to go back after this episode and listen to the debriefing one there is one there but it was having that conversation with him that I realized how important debriefing is and how maybe we should be using it a lot more in our practice and it's not just debriefing in the clinical setting you know it's it's downloading on a coach or a therapist or just journaling about it you know it's reflective practice it's trying to get these events from the day out of our heads to free up space for other stuff to come in and I know myself I struggle with it a lot because obviously we're all tied by registration and confidentiality And there's only so much that you can share. So it then puts the burden back on to us, I feel, because we have got all these laws around just what we can share. So I think that's where downloading with another professional or within your team can be very beneficial. Yeah, and I think that's important, but I feel from what I experience with coaching people in this space is there's almost a fear of that debriefing because of judgment of, oh, you're not handling it that well because there's this expectation to almost be robotic and just be able to handle all of these things going at you and, you know, a harden the F up mentality sometimes And I don't think that's helpful. Like I think that it makes people want to, you know, restrict and be like, yep, yep, I'm sweet, I'm okay, instead of actually debriefing properly. Yeah, and I think it is, it's that vulnerability of seeing that you're not okay, that people Mm -hmm. still struggle with these days. And also that they don't want to ask questions because they feel that they should know the answers. And there's a lot of fear around it too. Yeah. That expectation again, for sure. If you enjoy meditating or you would like to give meditation a try, why not head on over to happynurse.com.au forward slash meditation to download my free guided meditation for stress and anxiety relief. It's 12 minutes of pure self-care. I also feel like it's kind of important for us to touch on, you know, the trauma aspect and the first responder aspect too, because, I mean, you being, you know, in your role as a nurse, how many nurses do you think you would work with that would actually put themselves in that category of being a first responder? I myself, until we recently had a chat, didn't really see myself as a first responder because I'm not out there in the the blue lights or whatever. You know, I see first responders as those who are in the fire brigade, the police force, the paramedics, the volunteers who in the SES, you know, that kind of people. Whereas I work in a clinical setting, but as you pointed out, you know, I work in recovery 
And I'm there one-on-one with patients. So if that patient starts to deteriorate, I am the first one there. So I am the first responder. And I hadn't really thought of it about that, thought about it that way until you pointed it out to me. Yeah. And I'm glad you shared that too, because so frequently when I've worked with nurses, I mean, doctors seem to get it there, you know, the responsibility lands on their shoulders, but more often than not, nurses are the first one in the room and also the closest. So just like you said, when things start to go pear-shaped, you guys are generally the first people there that are going to be attending the situation. Yeah, we have to be the ones to raise the alarm and get the medical team involved or more of our colleagues or whatever, depending on what the situation is. But yeah, I just hadn't put myself in that first responder role until that point. And then I thought, yeah, I do. And it's after these situations where you find yourself in that role that you tend to go home and your thoughts will start to kick in and you'll start to ruminate and you start thinking, oh, what if I'd done this? And what if I'd done that? And I think that then it increases our stress because we're constantly ruminating on that scenario that happened in that day and it's probably because we haven't debriefed with anyone or like asked any questions that we've got around the incident and that can really start to spiral out of control if we let it yeah absolutely and so curious because you're in these situations in a workspace and I'm also wondering how many other people listening right now like oh I never thought of myself as a first responder until now But uh, So hopefully that's a helpful starting point. But how many times do you think you come home and because you're still stuck in the scenarios that, you know, have occurred throughout that day or that week or whatever, how do you think that impacts your day-to-day life? I think now knowing what I know and teaching what I teach it doesn't have a massive impact but before I got into all the personal development and the mindfulness it had a huge impact on me I mean I remember waking in the middle of the night with anxiety that something I'd forgotten to do something or hand over something about a patient and I would be phoning the hospital you know at three in the morning and they're like Elena you told me that at handover but For some reason, I was thinking about it at three in the morning. And until I could go back to sleep, I had to call and double check. Like it does have a huge impact because ultimately, you know, it's people's lives that we're dealing with. It's not it's not something you can just dismiss. It is such a big deal. And then I'm also seeing, at least from my standpoint, so I'd be curious to hear, you know, you live it. You know, I coach people through it, but you live it. <laughs> so from like a standpoint of your, that's your work life, your professional life, you're always on, you always have to be switched on, mentally engaged, ready to go, ready to respond. But you're also a human being that lives day-to-day life that still goes through your own personal traumas, You've still got your own family stuff and relationship stuff and health stuff and life stuff and all of those things. How do you feel the additional 
life traumas impact with the work traumas? I think they all have a compounding effect, you know, and that's when we can start to see phenomenons like compassion fatigue and vicarious trauma because all of our own personal stuff is adding to what we are seeing at work. And there's only so much one mind can take, you know, and that's when we start to filter out what we see as, I don't know, something that we can kind of remove from our minds, you know, and it will be the stuff that's not as personal, if that makes sense. So, you know, we will start to normalize what we're seeing on a daily basis at work, like these traumas. And that's when the compassion fatigue starts to kick in and we start to lose compassion and empathy towards our patients who are experiencing this trauma because we're busy dealing with our own stuff. So we don't have the emotional capacity to be present for these patients who are also experiencing stress and trauma. Yeah, for sure. I think because you're discussing these and maybe not everyone's familiar with what they are, do you want to unpack what those fatigues are? So compassion fatigue is when it's a phenomenon when you start to shut down mentally, emotionally and spiritually towards your patients because you've just you've seen it so many times and you don't have the emotional capacity to deal with it anymore you lose all that compassion and empathy that you once had and vicarious trauma is when you are caring for someone who has been through a very traumatic event and you also take on the stress of that patient because you are sympathizing with them, you know. And when you're constantly dealing with people who are like experiencing a lot of trauma and stress, then it does start to play an impact on you and you start to take it on yourself without even realizing. I'll put the proper definitions for them both in the show notes. That's just ad-libbed off the top of my head right now. And I think, thank you, first of all, for sharing that. But I I actually think that it was really important to specify that because I think many people, while you're exposed to these things, might not know the full definition of what's going on and maybe can recognise some of those symptoms in themselves just by the way you've explained it in your own way if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And I can see times in my career when I've maybe been teetering close to the edge of the compassion fatigue. And I'll share something personal as well. I mean, as a lot of you who listen to the podcast regularly know, I lost my mum and my brother in two separate road traffic accidents within a few years of each other back in my late teens, early 20s. My first role as a nurse was in orthopaedic trauma. And like to you, Michelle, you'll be probably thinking, what does that mean? So orthopaedic trauma is the unit that people go into when they've had broken bones. So they come in and get fixed up. And I hadn't really, this was between my mum and my brother's accidents, actually. Um, I hadn't realised what I was doing when I took the role because suddenly we were having all these road traffic accident victims come through and they were triggering triggering all these memories of losing my mum. 
And I started to experience vicarious trauma because it was so raw and fresh and me still at this point. So I only lasted in that role six months and I realized I had to get out because my mental health was starting to decline. So, you know, it's even like that's a, an example of how we can experience vicarious trauma. Yeah. And you know what? I think that's a really beautiful way of showing people what that can be. And I think plenty of nurses listening will be able to identify that because there are going to be patients in cases that are more triggering than others because of their own traumas that you've gone through in your life. And just because you're a professional that works in this field does not mean that you're exempt from being human and experiencing stuff that's going to truly impact your life in such great ways. And it doesn't mean you just have to get over it. You know, you just because that's your role, it doesn't mean you have to get over faster. Yeah. What happened in your family? Because that's that's huge. Some people never recover fully to a degree when it comes to the loss of someone close to them because their whole life can change. So you, your world will never be the same. So... I, I think that it's important to, to talk about all of that because all types of first responders are impacted by these things. And perhaps do you feel like it's worthwhile us sharing who else we think first responders are? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, Michelle and I were brainstorming beforehand and trying to come up with a list of who would fall under first responders. So we had the you know, what I would typically call, you know, the police, the fire, the paramedics. I Also the, um, the volunteers, the volunteer firefighters and the, the state emergency services. I know they're different names in different places, but you know, here in WA, it's the SES. And I also, it's funny because I always put ED nurses in there, so emergency department nurses, but I would never have put myself in there as a PACU nurse. So, yeah, it was a real turning point for me when you highlighted that I too would be classed as a first responder. And I also, do you know what? I'm Just as I'm speaking, we were speaking earlier and it came to me, even people like teachers, you know, they are first responders too because children will come and confide in them if there is stuff going on at home and they have to be in the, the emotional state and have the capacity to be able to help this child if they are experiencing any kind of difficulties. Yeah, exactly. And I, I actually think that it's important for people to know that not just those that work in this professionally are first responders because too frequently I work with nurses that don't realise they're a first responder, just like yourself. And also a lot of, you know, call centre operators. I've worked with a lot of Police Link and the Triple Zero and, you know, those are the people that are like literally the first point of call. Yeah, that, yeah you forget about these people. It's terrible, isn't it, that we forget them, but yeah. At the scene technically, but they're, you know, I've coached some 
clients and they're, they're telling me what they've gone through on a phone call that day. And I'm like, whoa, like, okay, like that's, that's huge. And like you just said, teachers, first responders, but then also everyday people are first responders. Like last year before everything shut down, a friend and I were having brunch at a cafe and an elderly gentleman fell off his chair and was laying on the floor and everyone's like, oh, and my friend and I looked at each other and we're like, no one's going to do anything but us. And so because her and I've known each other for so long, we just both took two separate roles and I organized the ambulance and I organized this, that, and the other. And she took care of keeping him still and keeping him calm. And then I was looking after his wife and making sure she was okay. And, you know, so we, we managed the entire situation until the ambulance could come and take over But, you know, essentially my friend and I were the first responders and that happens all the time whenever something occurs. I mean, I've I've been in a car accident before and two random strangers came and helped me until I had, um, you know, the support arrive. And so I think frequently we just, like you said, lump it into, you know, police, ambulance, fire, like those are first responders, but the, it's a lot bigger than it appears. But I think nurses in particular really downplay it because it's just their job. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just easy. Like it's a piece of cake. I think it's just because we're trained in it. We just automatically do it, you know, it's... Yeah, but I mean, I stopped, I've stopped recently at road traffic accidents and stuff to help people. But it's just what we do because we obviously know that we have the skills and the knowledge that could potentially help these people. So, yeah, I don't know if it comes down to that duty of care or if we do it because we feel obliged or if it's just who we are as people it's probably a mixture of all of that but yeah you know you've got the skills and knowledge to help someone so you're compelled to do it because you know it's someone's life at the end of the day you want to help them yes exactly and I'm also curious to ask you another question Elena I feel like I've turned this around and I'm into (laughs) go for it I don't mind this is good I think it's important because, I mean, I come from like a coaching aspect through trauma, but you're living it in, you know, a week-to-week, day-to-day way that, you know, all of your listeners can absolutely relate to. And I'm sort of curious in that regard as to how have you worked on managing your fatigue in those areas? I know that you said that things that you've particularly done, but how have you initially noticed that in yourself or in colleagues that you've worked with to help support them through that? I think I've, I've come to the realization that it's okay to be vulnerable. And if I do have questions, I will go and ask them. And also, you know, if I've see colleagues going through something, I will always 
catch them afterwards and check in on them just to check they're okay and you know if they want to have a chat about it and and I will only listen you know I'm not going to offer opinions or advice unless they ask for it and even then I'll probably encourage a lot of it for them to go off and ask questions of the appropriate people rather than coming to me if that makes sense because then I'm projecting my opinion onto them but I do always check in on my colleagues especially if we've had something untoward happen in the unit but and I think that's the thing as nurses we do tend to do that we we stick together we've got each other's backs most of the time and it's just it is it's going back to that debriefing and anything that is stuck in your mind going and and investigating and finding out and just looking for that even if it's just reassurance or validation that that what you did was okay or asking any questions around what could I maybe have done differently if this situation was to arise again but the thing is with us when it comes to what we call codes at work we have to do this training at least once a year where we go into the simulation and it all happens. So it's almost like it's pre-programmed in our brains as to how to respond to the situation because we do all these drills of it regularly. Mm -hmm. It's part of our, our registration. It's part of our um, duty of care to our patients and an obligation um, in our roles as well to our employers that we undertake this, what they call mandatory training. So I think we obviously, because we do that, that also lends it, us to kind of normalize these situations. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so do you think sometimes there's a, a desensitization? Because I, from my perspective in my coaching role, that's what I see an awful lot. There's such a big desensitization because, you know, for example, police officers, I work with a lot of them that have seen so many domestic violent cases just in one day alone. And then there's almost a desensitization there. And, you know, it's, it's similar in all different types of roles. Like there's that desensitization because you're exposed to it so much more than anybody else would be. And I truly believe that it takes a certain character to be able to do that because you do need to genuinely care about people. And so I think, you know, fundamentally there's such a, a heart space of giving there. But then I wonder how much that impacts like the personal life in your family relationships, in your friend relationships, in your romantic relationship and relationship with your children because you're seeing things that not everyone is exposed to. So it's a very long-winded way of me asking you, <laughs> how do you think those situations have impacted your personal world? Yeah, going back to something you said at the start, you know, and how we almost are desensitized. I don't think I'd call it desensitized. I think that we just downplay the impact it's having on our mental health, you know, and it's that accumulative effect. We, 
we tend to just kind of think, oh, it's just part of the job. You know, we just have to to get on with it, like you were saying. And and we do, yeah, we downplay the impact it's having on our mental health. And it's probably not until we are taking it home with us and it's starting to affect our relationships with our significant others or our children or anything else outside of our professional lives that we will actually like realize what's going on and we'll start to wonder why we're feeling the way we are and it's not until you start to actually sit down and unpack it that you realize that a lot of it could be coming from situations you've experienced at work that you've just pushed back to the back of your mind and they're all starting to compound and have an effect on your everyday life yes and I I think one of the big key words from that is downplay and what I see frequently is you even downplay it to yourself first and foremost like you're like no I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine and it's kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back and then something happens and it's generally in the personal life. And then it's like, wow, I'm really not fine. And I haven't been fine for a long time. And so I think that, you know, circumnavigates us back to that getting in control and that self-care to be able to address it before you get to that breaking point or that burnout point. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've burnt out twice and I can see, you know, the first time I burnt out was just as I left that role in the orthopedic trauma ward, you know, I'd obviously realized that I couldn't work here. It was triggering too many memories. And within a month of leaving there, It was almost like I had the space to be able to process what had just happened. And I had my first breakdown. I mean, I was 20. You know, my dad found me sobbing on the bathroom floor uncontrollably one morning, not knowing what the hell to do with me. But it just it was that compounding effect. But finally, I felt like I was free and I could, you know how our minds do that? You know, it's when we stop and we actually change the situation that suddenly it all comes flooding to the front and you're ready to release it. So, yeah, I mean, as you all know, I've burnt out twice, but it is, it's realising the impact that our professional lives are having on our mental health as well as everything that's going on in our personal lives because it's all compounding. I always, I mean, I don't know how you work with clients, Michelle, but when I'm working with clients, I talk a lot about the subconscious and I see it as a filing cabinet, you know, and it gets to this point that that filing cabinet drawer is fully open. There's all these lever arch files stuffed in there as hard as they can go. And suddenly they all just explode out because they can't, you can't fit any more in and it's just, it's all got to come out somewhere. And that's kind of how I conceptualize what's going on in our heads so that people who are very visual can kind of understand what's happening. Yeah. And I think it's also important to note that not everyone has, you know, a breakdown or a burnout emotionally like that. There's so many different ways that people can reach their breaking point. And you asked about, you know, how how I experience it from a coaching aspect. And one of the things that I notice is your immediate inner circle. So, you know, partner, 
um, family, children, friends, whomever your like tight knit people are, sometimes they will actually notice that you're not coping before you do. So a lot of the, the clients that I've worked with in this space, they will say how their wife or their partner or their best friend was like, hey, actually, that's not a normal way to respond or you're showing up differently at home or, you know, and I, and I noticed that it's interesting and it's both a positive and a negative whether you're, significant other is working in the same world too so for example I've got a few clients where their partner's also a police officer or also working in paramedics or you know something along those lines which would in one sense make it easier but in another actually perpetuates the problem because they're both managing and so used to seeing that so but we're saying that they're also good to debrief with But then paying attention, I I see it so frequently, do pay attention to the feedback that those that you value that have good intentions for sharing with you that that's not a normal response to something or, you know, they will give you feedback sometimes directly or indirectly as to maybe you're not doing as okay as you think you are because I think there's... um, a bit of a tendency to lie to yourself a bit. I'm doing fine. I love my job. Like, you know, you chose this career and so it should be okay, should be able to manage, should, 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 should. So once again, more pressure. Yeah, it's almost like we kind of, we go into denial. Yeah. And I think another reason that we tend to to downplay it is because, we see the extremes of people suffering from mental health problems. So we downplay our struggles in relation to theirs, you know, and think, you know, mine's nothing compared to Mr. Jones in bed too or whatever. And and I think that's something that I know myself as a nurse, we I have tended to do in the past because I'm like, my problems are nothing in comparison to some of the patients that I've looked after. Whereas in reality, my problems are probably to me as important as that patients are because I need to be able to look after me to be able to look after him. So. And that's, I think that's quite detrimental because that's something I hear a lot is that comparison It's like, oh, but it's not as bad as blah, blah. But no, there is nothing to compare to. But exactly what you said, because you're seeing extreme ends of things, you're comparing it to the utmost extreme. And that's not a place that you want to be comparing. (laughs) Yeah. I tend to guide people away from comparison completely the only person you can compare yourself with is who you were yesterday and same with your life but when it comes to that comparison aspect in the roles that first responders and nurses are doing I think it's a really dangerous game to play because it really can mess with people's mental and emotional health because what they're experiencing in their life isn't as bad 
Uh, no, it doesn't quite work that way. <laughs> yeah, and I, I didn't realize I was doing this until, oh, it was years into my career. And then I thought, no, you know, like you said, the only person I can compare myself to is who I was yesterday. You can't compare yourself to anyone else. And your mental health is your mental health. And it's important that you look after it. And I think, yeah, comparison is very dangerous. But I think it's something that I wasn't aware I was doing it. I think it's a subconscious thing that asked nurses and I don't know I'd love to hear your feedback from the nurses that are listening you know do you find yourself maybe doing this too but you're not aware that you are because I wasn't completely aware of what I was doing at the time it wasn't till I kind of really sat down and thought about it and I was like why do I downplay stuff and then I realized it was because I obviously have seen the extremes and I, my problems are minuscule in comparison to some of the patients I look after. So, yeah. I think that's a beautiful question to put out there and to get people to be a little bit self-reflective. Yeah. Cause I think it is a lot of it subconscious. We don't realize we're doing it. No, hundred percent because it's just how you guys survive in what you're doing. And it's what probably predisposes us to, vicarious trauma and compassion fatigue like we spoke about earlier in this episode you know we've kind of come full circle and these things are very very real phenomenons and they're impacting more and more of us you know burn and nurses alone burnouts at 40 percent and that figure is from 2019 so that was before we entered into this current pandemic climate that we are in and that's adding an extra layer of stress to everyone's life especially those who are first responders because it's a very real thing that we're dealing with on a daily basis so that has a compounding effect on top of everything else that we're experiencing in both our professional and our personal lives. Exactly. And I think that's important to mention too, because this was prevalent before the pandemic occurred, but it's even more important now because you guys are hit so much more with so many more things to think about and manage and handle. So, you know, anyone that's a first responder is dealing with this additional pressure and additional stress because yeah pandemic. just the outfit they have to wear alone you know in some of these heavily affected areas that alone is adding stress before you even think about any of the rest of it so yeah it's having a very real impact on everyone's mental health yeah, absolutely. So it's I think it's even more prevalent now than it's ever been to really go from that stress state into taking control of it and doing the things that you need to do in order to self-manage so that you can be at your best for yourself, for your family, for your patients, for everyone. Yeah, most definitely, because we all want to have happy and healthy personal lives and professional lives and 
if we're not dealing with what's lurking in the background of our minds, then it's going to stay there lurking and affecting us until one day we're forced to. So it's best, I always think, to to address these things through choice, not through necessity. Yes, address it while you're in control of it, in, as opposed to waiting for it to rear its ugly head, so to speak, and be in control of you. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, I you don't want to go there. I've been there. It's not fun. So, yeah, like I'm deeply passionate about helping nurses and first responders to prevent burnout because it's not a nice place to be and I don't want anyone to have to go there that doesn't want to I don't think anyone wants to not want to need to sorry (laughs) that was the wrong words um, and I think it's something that everyone's on that slippery slope to with being in this particular workspace and because you do it for love and so if we can help manage that and care for that better, I think it just helps everyone because you guys are so beautiful at giving and there needs to be that receiving to and self-nurture so that, you know, we're all looking after one another, so to speak. Yeah, most definitely. We all need to help each other out and, and offer ourselves and our colleagues and loved ones that same compassion you know we're so good at giving the compassion and empathy to everyone else but sometimes we forget to give it to ourselves and offer ourselves that same level of compassion that we we so freely give to others exactly yes so that is why michelle and i have had our thinking caps on and we've been collaborating in the background i mean ash a lot of you will know I've had a bit of a hiatus over Christmas. I've had my boys at home for the summer holidays, but I have been working away in the background. And Michelle and I are really, really excited to bring to you a program that we are collaborating on and bringing together. It's called Stress to In Control, and we are launching it um, mid to late February so Michelle do you want to jump in and share a bit more about what we're gonna be offering yeah I I'm super excited about this too because it's so needed you know with everything that we've been discussing today alone let alone all of the stuff that the listeners are going to be like oh yes I hear you So, yeah, Elena and I have been putting together a beautiful online course because we know how busy all of you guys are. So it's a a seven-week course that will walk you through um, step-by-step. You can do it in your own time over the seven weeks. And I think I'm just super excited to, to bring this to all of your listeners. Yeah, me too. And to all a lot of other first responders out there as well. So we're going to have it all on an online platform. It will be um, emailed out to you weekly. So you'll have the whole week to listen to the video that we're going to record for each week. So we imagine, yeah, the videos will be around an hour long, but Michelle and I get talking and they, they may be slightly longer. 
So, yeah, it was super exciting to bring this course to everyone because we really put the time in to make sure that there's tangible tools that you'll be able to take away each week and utilize and do and reflect on. But we've also put it together in such a way that we know how busy you guys are. So it's easy and digestible and you can do it in your own time over the seven weeks because it's our big goal for you guys to be able to go from that stress state, from that potential build up to burnout and bring you back to feeling like you're in control, that you have a self-care plan in place. And we're going to really walk you through some super cool stuff. Yeah, it's going to be very exciting. And you're getting the best of both of our expertise. So you're getting Michelle and her trauma recovery expertise. And you're getting myself and my self-care expertise. It's going to be a combination of both of our tools and strategies. So it's like getting two for the price of one. We're really, really excited to bring this to you all. So we will put the link for further information in the show notes. Please, if you've got any questions, ask us, reach out. And the link to the online course will be down there below this episode in the show notes. So, Michelle, it's been wonderful chatting to you again today. I look forward to chatting with you again soon. And I'm so excited to be collaborating with you on this awesome project that we're about to embark on. Likewise, Elena, it's been beautiful to be putting this together for everyone. Yeah, it really has been. And I've already learned a lot about myself, like what we've discussed today. And um, it's been really enlightening to me to have Michelle's coaching. So, yeah, jump on if you would like to experience that too. Wonderful. I look forward to our next recording. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Thank you for listening to the Happy Nurse Podcast. If you've enjoyed today's content and would like to join the Happy Nurse community, head over to Facebook and check out the Happy Nurse AU Facebook page and request to join the Happy Nurse community. Also, check out happynurse.com.au for access to free downloads and subscription to my blog. See you soon. And in the meantime, remember to always offer yourself the same compassion that you so freely give to others. I'm excited to share with you all that I've contributed a chapter to the newly published Anxiety Relief Handbook. The handbook provides a unique window into 11 highly effective complementary therapies for you to sample on your quest to ease anxiety. The ebook is available on my website, happynurse.com.au forward slash anxiety relief handbook.